Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to the latest episode of The Shamrock. I'm Pete Sampson, uh, knee-deep in training camp and seasonal allergies here in South Bend. Matt Fortuna in Chicago, uh, my co-host. And then uh, special guest today, it is the season for incredible weight room numbers. Uh, so that's where Bruce Feldman's area of expertise is. Uh, Freaks List came out last week. Uh, Bruce, thanks for being with us. And I guess um, I think the Freaks List is always a great read. I think for the first time in a few years, when I scanned it, I wasn't sure which Notre Dame guys were going to be on it because it wasn't. There's not a Kyle Hamilton. There's not a Jeremiah Wusukormoa. So I was interested when you were putting that together if if you knew a whole lot about Riley Mills or Lorenzo Styles or even Cam Hart when you got started. I did not. Styles I knew of because you know he's second generation and I remember the name. Um, Cam Hart I kind of knew the name, but I didn't know the specifics. Riley Mills was the one that was the double take guy when uh, the ND staff sent me kind of a list of the workout numbers, and it was it's not it's not the um, the whole roster. It's probably uh, seven or eight guys, and Lindsey's on there because of his speed, obviously, and Tyree's on there because of his speed, although not quite to the degree maybe I was expecting. But then I was like, you know, like I didn't really I noticed Riley Mills at first, but I was like. I got to look at this guy a little more and then I have to kind of start to get into it a little. And he's what, you know, and you guys would know this certainly way better than me, but he's either from the rival school of Tommy Reese or from the same school, right? There's some same kind of school. Yeah. yeah. So, um, the more I looked, I was like, okay, this is a really interesting guy. And in fact, I did a podcast for PFF, um, yesterday and they asked me, give me somebody on this list who you think will be a breakout player. And a lot of these guys are really good players already, or they're, you know, Kalijah Kansi at Pitt is a first-team All-ACC player. He's probably better than people realize, even that. But, like, Riley Mills was actually the one of the first names that came to my mind on a breakout guy who, you know, who did some things last year. But I'm like, okay, you know, it sounds like he's definitely developing into his body. And you have some other guys around him who are already really disruptive, who are going to be game plan guys for the other team. So maybe he, maybe he flourishes in that way. Bruce, Freaks List has almost become like Phil Steele Day or Madden Holiday. Like it's become this like unofficial um, marking of the season being upon us every summer, at least among us in the sports media space. How long have you been doing this exactly? How many different outlets, I guess, have you been doing this for? And, yeah. and did you ever see it growing into what it – kind of has become by now i did not so i think i did it the, the first year was 2003 or 2004 um and it was back when i was doing a blog for espn.com myself and buster only we were both on the magazine side and ended up they were like let's see if you guys do a blog year round and so you know buster's doing baseball and i'm not 
dismissing it, but I'm saying like, there's way, you know, it's a way longer season. There's spring training. There's a lot of other stuff. Whereas at back at that time, you know, like, and I don't know, like I, Matt, how old were you in 2004? Right. You were probably, were you in high school even? I was in high school. Yes. Freshman year. Okay. <laughs> but, but like college football's changed in the last probably 10 years where, it's like it's become more year round. Like there wasn't a transfer portal then. There wasn't, you know, like, you know, there's certainly recruiting and everything else. But um, sorry, but like um, there was just a lot of different other things you're trying to generate content. And so I had this idea, and let me see where I can go with it. And I think it was ten guys, and I did it at ESPN dot com for maybe seven or eight years. Then I moved on to CBS. And CBS really embraced it. I don't want to say ESPN didn't, but CBS really did much more than ESPN. And then I moved on to Fox, and Fox was all about it. They wanted it to do Freaks Week, and it was going to be five different things, and the rollout was different. Then there was a minute where I was at SI. <laughs> I don't even know if I was there a year at Sports Illustrated, but we did it there. And then I got to The Athletic. And I think it grew, it grew from, you know, from at one point it was 40 and then it was 50 and then it was a hundred. And so, um, the part where I kind of was an eye opener for me though, the most was as a sideline reporter, I would go to, you know, I'd be on the field before games and the other people who are on the field two hours for games and the warmups who are not the players or coaches are NFL scouts. And I started getting these NFL scouts who I had never met before in person, um, start to talk to me about freaks list. That was all they, almost all they wanted to talk to me about. And I was like, Oh, okay, this is interesting. And this, like I said, this is probably six or seven years ago. And from that point I realized, wow, I have a way different audience than I realized that people inside football really are into it and they use it. And then in the last probably four years, I started talking to those scouts because they became really good resources of I should maybe do this outside of FBS football because there's a lot of other guys I'm missing out on and that are deserving and everything. And so I started doing it that way. And then, you know, those conversations have been great because like you said, Matt, like this is a primer for a lot of people. The season's around the corner. This is a huge primer for me to get ready for, you know, maybe not, not players I don't know about. There are players I don't know about, but like there are, you know, just, the, you know, there are conversations I need to have with people inside programs about what what's gone on in the summer program or everything else. And that's where, you know, that's another uh, you know, aspect of this. How the heck do you find guys from Wagner or Quincy? Hey, don't hate uh, on Saturn Island on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. I feel like this is a double Fortuna cause you got Quincy, you got an <laughs> Illinois school and Staten Island. Um, so Wagner, I actually, it's funny. I know about Wagner just because like um, one of my brother's best friends was a, player at Wagner when they were, you know, really good, I think. And they were playing against Sam Mills, you know, back when it was, I don't know if it was Glassboro State or whatever it was, but like, so I, I was familiar with the school, but just with that player, Titus Leo, um, part of what I do in the early, in somewhere in the spring, I send a lot of emails out to staff all over the country. Like if your program plays college football, you know, I probably tried to contact it. And so somebody said, and Titus Leo is a really good player. And then you just first, you know, follow up and follow up and maybe you get the position coach or maybe you get a coordinator or a strength coach. 
And most times, not always, but most times, if it's a player who's that productive or puts up those kind of numbers, usually it's like they've dedicated something and the school appreciates it and they want to talk about the player. Um, Quincy University was a different story for me. So about five, like I always do a, not always, but in the last few years, I've been doing a long conference call with the senior bowl staff and especially Jim Nagy who runs it. And I mean, that call like a week ago, Saturday was two and a half hours. And it's great because we just kind of share information. And like I come away learning not just about freaks guys, but then there's like other players who you've heard, especially with linemen, who you've heard are really good. Um, and this is a conversation we can have offline. <laughs> you've heard are really good that we think in the media are really good. And, and he'll be like, yeah, that guy's not that good. You guys are, here's what we see on film kind of stuff. And it's like, okay, that's awesome information. But we get to a player from Quincy University, and I don't know, I've never heard of the school, um, much less the player, right? And so all of a sudden, you know, then I'm like, all right, I, this is definitely a follow-up. Let me see what I got. And it's so, um, BJ Wilson is the player, and I don't know when I talk, if I talk to Jim at 7 o'clock my time to 9.30, at some point by like 11.30 in the morning, I was talking to his position coach and you know, he's, you know, you know, he's a really good student and he's this guy who, um, you know, I, he's from St. Louis and probably, you know, maybe he could have been a walk on at, at Mizzou or one of those places, but just ended up in division two and has really blossomed. And, you know, there's a, there's a few guys like that. And are there bigger freaks in the country? Yes. Um, like he's not Trevor Penning workout numbers wise, but this is a guy who's definitely on NFL scouts radar, and that's why he's in the bottom bottom towards the hundred. I'm glad to be able to give a little spotlight to him. Quick trivia: Bruce might know this. Which uh, famous NBA, former NBA coach, current broadcaster, used to be the athletic director at Wagner? Oh boy! Um, Here's a hint: He became most famous because his best player choked him. Oh, PJ Carlissimo. <laughs> yep. Wow, I I do remember. <laughs> They had one of the first early big drop-downs. They had a, a D lineman from Virginia Tech named Horatio Maranta, and he transferred in there. I don't know if he dominated for the Seahawks. I imagine he did. But this was back in the day of um, – this was back in the day where I think – you guys remember the movie All the Right Moves? It's a Tom Cruise football movie out of Pennsylvania. I, I haven't seen yes. it, but I, I'm familiar yeah. with it. Oh, you got to see it. I mean, maybe it's not as good as I remember it being, but like <laughs> – <laughs> anyway, but I think the quarterback in there was named, uh, nicknamed the Rifleman. I think he played at Wagner, if I'm not mistaken. So anyway, um, more Wagner trivia than anybody my, else. My brother's was. godfather <laughs> played uh, football there. It's kind of my like title. Do you know when he played? Was he a Hamline? Did he play for Wall Hamline or, or, or that era? Early 80s, possibly. I don't know. But Carlos Ooh, was the athletic you know, director there at the time. That's how I knew that trivia question. Okay, <laughs> I'm going to text you a name to text him, so... <laughs> Sounds like a plan. That was more. That was more Wagner talk than I was expecting. What, what, expect a shamrock or bump wanted, for Wagner. Or <laughs> yeah, or wanted. Yeah, our <laughs> listeners are like, uh, can we get back to Lorenzo Styles? Um, but uh, as you're going through um, the Notre Dame list, uh, you know, we talked about Mills a little bit. Hart is Hart was always unique when he showed up to Notre Dame because you just don't. I guess he was a receiver, but quickly moved to corner. But like six two as a corner, uh, if you have any sort of agility at all that's kind of freaky um well because i think he was highest on the list for notre dame in terms of the top hundred 
What uh, what was sort of the feedback you got from him uh, or on him from Notre Dame? I mean, like you said, just I mean, it's not just six two. He's over, two, you know, he's two hundred five pounds. And then you're talking about the the thing that really jumped out for me was anybody who was broad jumping over eleven feet. You know, I don't care if he's six feet one hundred seventy pounds. That's pretty eye popping to have that kind of explosiveness. And then there was like no, you know, like a bunch of these schools have like what I would call like kind of a maybe something that's a unique test that they do or a unique metric that they use. In this case, it was like a power clean output peak number. And his was really high for being, you know, a, a skill guy as opposed to like a linebacker tight end or certainly a lineman. And so I think that combination of things really, you know, like that is like when you talk about the, the, the frame that he has, that size, I mean, that's kind of like when LSU was recruiting cornerbacks, like in terms of 6'2", super athletic. Now, sometimes a guy's LSU was signing was 6'2", and they'd come in at 171 pounds, and then maybe by the time they'd leave, they'd be 190. You know, whether it's Greedy Williams or they have a bunch of dudes who were there like that in the last few years, other than, you know, maybe not Patrick Peterson kind of thickness with that size. But you just don't see a lot of guys like that, right? I had one last year from UTSA, Tariq Woolen. I mean, and he lit up the, you know, the, the combine too, but just six, four and, you know, vertical jumps in the 40 inches, broad jumps, like even further than Cam Hart. Um, he's not quite as thick, but like, if you have, as you said, any kind of agility to go with that kind of length and explosiveness, um, you're going to probably make a bunch of money. You know, I, at the very least, you're going to get a chance. And then if you get exposed as somebody who just either isn't physical or, you know, kind of gets lost out there or, or really isn't somebody who has much change of direction, then, you know, like, then look, you're probably going to probably going to get beat a lot in training camp and maybe you're not going to work your way into a spot and you got to hope, you know, something else develops. But at this point, I think, you know, that's a really intriguing player. Bruce, how do you define a freak? Is it almost like Nick Saban has his board of how he wants a certain corner to 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 stand height wise, how he, how quick he wants them to go? Like, and I ask this because like Michael Mayer, for example, right? Like everyone knows that guy's probably gonna be a first round pick. He's one of the best tight ends, if not the best, in the country. Um, he's not on this list. And I'm sure it's like nothing against him. Like he he's kind of like your typical really really good tight end. But how do you when you're sorting through this and you're sorting through probably more numbers than, than you care to admit? You know, how do you define what constitutes a freak? It's the guy. I mean, the original definition was the guy that everybody in the program was like, whoa, he's kind of different in here. Meaning not like he's the best player necessarily. I mean, a, a perfect example is I got a front seven player from Alabama and it's not Will Anderson. You know, it's just like and I believe me, I tried. I'd ask, like, what do you think? Will you know, just to have him somewhere on the list he's, to me, he is the best player in the country. And does he going to run four, six, five, you know, whatever he is, he's just a great football player, right? It's not like he's slow or all, but like Chris Braswell, who is similar dimension, six, three, two um, you know, but he's a 700 pound squatter, 405 pound power clean, and he vertical jumps almost 40 inches. You know, I don't think Will Anderson is quite as explosive as that. Right. So um, in the case of Michael Mayer, um, I think I have a handful of tight ends on there 
you know, one of them, and I don't want to, you know, feed into the Pete Sampson, you know, enrages, enrages the deep South, you know, <laughs> argument, but like, let's take out Michael Mayer for a second. Let's take out Brock Bowers for a second. Like, you know, your alma mater, uh, Matt had a great freaky tight end. Who's now went with Ricky Ronnie to ODU and he's six, eight plus not just like, I was surprised when Ronnie told me, you know, like his measurables is like, all right, he's six, eight. Maybe that means he's six, six and a half, right? No, he's six, eight and a quarter. And he's, you know, got a 40 inch vertical jump and the numbers are crazy. Right. And Gasicki came out of there was, you know, super freaky athlete too. And this kid probably even more so cause he's bigger, you know, and, um, it's not saying he's going to be a better player. And I think that's what tricky. Sometimes people look at it and go, and they know, how good of an all-around player Michael Mayer is. That's not to say he's not a explosive athlete, because obviously you can see it. He does some stuff that's really unique on the field. But in terms of like, you know, sometimes, and I'm not saying this is the case with him, but sometimes you have a guy who either wasn't able to train, you know, work out in the off-season program or test because they were rehabbing something, or or, or otherwise maybe they're just functional strength isn't quite is a little different or. You know, their numbers are good, but they don't want to put, you know, if you're the, especially if you're the, um, you know, the coaching staff, you have a guy who you think is a great player, but his numbers compared to these freak athletes kind of look a little bit ordinary. I think they don't, they almost don't want to show him that because the guy may be a great player, but maybe vertical jumps, Michael Mayer vertical jumps 34 inches, which is excellent for a tight end. And maybe he broad jumps, you know, 10-1, which is still excellent. It's just compared to, like, Riley Mills' numbers, it's like, it's not quite the same. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a weight room achievement, uh, conditioning achievement, not necessarily a Saturday afternoon achievement. Yeah. And it's like, I can back you up where you're saying on Mayer, because I remember talking to people around the tight end room when he showed up. He was a five-star prospect, looked amazing in workouts. Uh, I mean, like, on-field summer workouts, but... There was like his weight room numbers. He had some ground to make up, um, lower body strength getting where it needed to be. So it wasn't like he showed up and, and was like, you know, your, your Quentin Nelson type where it's you are a freak player, but also a freak in, in terms of the training aspect of it. Um, yeah, on that on that one two yeah. thing, like so I don't think anybody who watched the, you know, who's watched Ohio State would would just would be surprised to say Jackson Smith and Jigba is the best receiver at Ohio state. And yep. probably the best receiver in the country. Um, he's not the biggest freak in that room. Marvin Harrison jr. Is bigger. He's longer. He's, he's faster and he's stronger. Um, he's the number two guy on my list. Now he's also a really good player too. He had three touchdown catches in that Utah game, but you know, like the better player and look, Jackson Smith and Jigba probably belongs somewhere on the list. His measurables aren't, you know, he's not 6'3", 205, he's shorter, he's, you know, he's going to run in the 4'4". Four, four. So I think, you know, for the size, the, the numbers aren't like, wow. And I just think sometimes, you know, I think people are like, well, why is he not on there? He's a way better player. Yeah, well, that's not what this list is. It's not the 100 best players in the country. Oh, that's very, very Dame, comforting to our say, listeners. Yeah, I was going to say, was gonna, Notre Dame is going to thank you that uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba has some more motivation <laughs> on September 3rd to like out to Marvin Harrison Jr. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Segway into somebody who was a top prospect in his own right about 15 years ago, Marcus Freeman, um, their name's new first-year head coach. You have... You'd sort of gotten to know Marcus a little bit. I think even going back to his Ohio State days, um, you know, you're plugged in with coaches on as they're sort of on the rise a little bit, which he was for five, six years. What I, I was interested in, like when you first got to know him, um, and maybe what some of your first impressions were of of that time, because I, I think it went back before people really knew who he was, and at that point he was like kind of a, a second team All Big Ten player who would ultimately would have a very brief NFL career. Yeah, he was a little on my radar because one of the, the the guys who coached him at Ohio State early on, Mark Snyder, the old Marshall head coach, was somebody he used to recruit New York, New Jersey. So I'd always see him living when I worked for ESPN Magazine in New York, and um, so he was a you know like obviously that was a loaded room. You know, you at one point you had AJ Hawk, you had Bobby Carpenter, you had you know. James Laurinaitis. I don't remember where whatever became a James, but like, you know, those guys were all like, it was a deep group. And then Marcus, he was like, you know, this guy could be a coach, just ha- he could have it. And then, so when I was at the magazine, we did this, it was really a photo act. It was almost like the kind of thing you'd see in a GQ or a men's magazine where it was like kind of a style piece where we had five players who were all you know, good college players, but not first round picks. And I think they called it Kings for a day. And so the five players were Marcus Freeman, uh, Graham Harrell from Texas tech, Jared Dillard, who was a really productive receiver from rice, Ian Johnson from Boise state and Mitch King from Iowa. I think that was the five. And then we would take them all over the city. They would do like these fashion photo shoots and all this stuff. And it was like the full day of it. And I just remember our photo editor really connected with Marcus. Marcus was a little bit like 22 going on 35. You know, he just like, like Graham was, was, I knew Graham the best. He was kind of, um, 
just kind of silly and had it, you know, laughed his way through it. You know, Ian Johnson had been something of a little bit of a cult hero because, you know, the, the famous um, Fiesta Bowl, you know, uh, Statue of Liberty ter- slash uh, wedding proposal or marriage proposal. And but but it was just different. Like Marcus really clicked with people there. I don't know if it was a conscious effort. There's no, you know, I didn't think there was any reason for him to like just kind of charm everybody who was around there, but he just kind of did it in a very unassuming way. So, you know, I don't think I connected with him. Like he was at Purdue and I was like, Oh, he's, you know, he's there and people are, you know, kind of excited about him. And then when he got to Cincinnati, we really kind of reconnected. And, you know, it's not shocking that he kind of moved up now, moved up to be the Notre Dame head coach as fast. I didn't see this coming, but um, whatever it was, 18 months ago when he was in the mix for the LSU DC job. And I know that old head coach at LSU really well. Um, and so I had heard about how that interview process went. I knew how much they, you know, Ogeron really, really was impressed by Marcus, you know, and I knew they tried to really put a full court press on Marcus and, you know, his wife had come down there and I think they, you know, really were hoping that they could sway him and sway her and, and get them to, to come. And obviously, look, I don't, you know, in retrospect, obviously the Marcus's decision was a thousand times the right decision. I don't think anybody knew that he could be the head coach at Notre Dame, whatever it was, 11 months later or whatever the timing was from that decision. And I don't think if Marcus went to LSU, I don't think it was the, it was, if he was the offensive coordinator, I think maybe that would have been different because that was to me the bigger issue for them at LSU. I don't know if he's, if, if they're much better on offense, does that save, you know, their jobs, but just from talking to him throughout process, you know, and I'm sure you guys have been around him a lot and done, you know, gotten to know him well, like he's just a very, very impressive guy. And you could see why you could see why he's recruiting really well, because you can see how people, especially parents could probably, you know, buy into him and you can see why kids can feel like they can relate to him. It's not to, not a knock on Brian Kelly at all. Brian Kelly was obviously, as you guys well know, he won everywhere he's been. He's a really good coach. Marcus is just different. He's generationally different. And I think it's a really interesting time for Notre Dame. Yeah, Marcus and, and Ed Odron, as you know, obviously hit it off pretty darn well down there to the point where a lot of people at Notre Dame at that time thought he was going to LSU. And uh, I'm sure you've heard this too, Bruce, like one of the first calls Marcus Riva made when he got the Notre Dame head coaching job was to Ed Odron to invite him to come up and observe a spring practice, which he, he took him up on this past spring. Uh, but that's a great what if that we've gone down <laughs> before on this podcast. Um, what do you think of Notre Dame's team this year? I mean, we've gone over some of the roster. We've talked about the new head coach. I mean, I know you can never really know what's going to happen with the new head coach until he's in that moment. But, but how do you see the season playing out for the Irish? I think they're, from my look, I think they're a top 10 caliber team. I don't know if they're much beyond that. Obviously you break in a new quarterback, you have a receiver position that wasn't deep to begin with before, you know, last weekend. Um, You do have a difference maker, a tight end. I think they will be, even better on the O line because to me you have what I, what I also think is really good for Notre Dame is 
I feel like Marcus was able to put together a really good staff. He kept some key pieces. You know, he brought back an O-line coach who's probably one of the two best O-line coaches in the country. He added a running back coach who I think is as good as there is from from watching how he coaches at, you know, his time at USC. Um, I just think there's a lot of interesting pieces there. I just think that, you know, for them, and this is just my opinion, I, you guys might disagree, but like for Notre Dame to take the next step as a program, I don't think it happens this year. I think there's a, and we'll find out in the first week just how close they are to Ohio State talent-wise. But I feel like for them to take the next step, I think that two things have to happen. They need, and this is probably not brain surgery to say, but they need more difference makers on the defense to be able to compete with Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, and or Ohio State. And they need somebody to be, they need to find a special quarterback because you know, you can have really good tight ends and they've had really good offensive linemen. I don't know if they've, you know, has there been an elite running back there? I mean, I'm looking at Pete's eyes. I mean, rolling Kyron Williams that. was a really, really, really good college he was back. A really but... good back. And he was a good all-around running back. And I feel like it's a slight, you know, to me, he's probably as good as they've had since the yes. run and like when Dorsey Levins had to leave because he was like that, how stacked the room Different was. Era. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Like, I don't know. Am I wrong? Like, I know they have they have signed, you know, like guys who are high four and low five star guys, running backs who just didn't either live up to it or they were over. You know, I don't know what. Um, but so there's been that piece of it. They've had some receivers, but not enough of them. Right. You know, like uh, Will Fuller was super dynamic, um, you know, and they've obviously had as good a tight ends as anybody. But I just feel like is there a special quarterback? You know, they've, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to invoke Brady's name here, but like, it's been a while, <laughs> right? You know, Tom Brady played at Michigan, Bruce. I don't, know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't mean, I don't mean the good looking Brady. I mean, the one who's oh, all muscled up. Oh, Brady Quinn. <laughs> so, Brady Quinn. Oh yeah. yeah that one, right. It, yeah. it, but I, I agree. Like Notre Dame needs this, the something more than Ian book at quarterback. Like not somebody who can just manage a game, but actually make the play that wins the game. Um, in book won thirty games, but I'm not sure I would point to him as the reason they won them. Um, and on the outside, this is probably a good segue into to Chancey Stuckey, who you know a little bit. I mean, Notre Dame is going through camp right now, essentially with five healthy scholarship receivers, which is just a it's roster mismanagement that Notre Dame is in this position, um, but here they are. They have to deal with it. Um, Stucky's recruiting has been really good in terms of the guys they have coming next year, which is not going to help them right now. But um, I do – spending some time around Chansey, it's sort of like Marcus in the sense of like, oh, I completely understand why you'd be a really good recruiter and a very popular coach with your players. And I think you – I don't know if you got to know him while he was at Clemson or he was working at Clemson, but you have spent some time with him. Yeah, it was a really random deal. So it was at one of the conference, not conference, one of the playoff media days. And, um, you know, you have an hour to talk to whoever you're going to talk to. And I don't rem I think I was asking Chancey Stuckey, who was a kind of an off-field assistant at the time. He may have been an analyst. I'm trying to remember what his title was. He was not a position coach there, certainly, before Baylor. And I remembered his name. I remembered who he was from him as a player. But 
I'd asked him something about somebody else and then I was just making small talk with him. And then I found out, I don't want to say he had another life, but it was like when he lived out here and I'm here being on the West coast and really made a run at an acting career. And I was like, Ooh, this guy's really interesting. Like I'm going to end up spending way more time with this hour, <laughs> which like, it's not like Clemson is Georgia where, you know, you better, you better use every minute of this time because they're not going to let anybody talk to you for the rest of the, whatever the, you know, 364 days and 23 hours of the calendar. This is it. But it's still valuable time. And I was like, oh, I'm, you know, like I got a bunch of stuff on my tape recorder from Chancey Stuckey, which I was not expecting to do. And so towards towards, towards your point, Pete, um, I agree. Usually those guys, if they if they work at it and obviously with his, you know, life experiences, it shows he's a he's a gonna gonna work at it guy. Because I know that's what it was like when he had a family and trying to get an acting career off the ground. But there was something like, um, like with Marcus, where I definitely felt like, okay, he's a little different in terms of um, is able to connect with a lot of people and tell his story and and kind of charm you without trying. If that's a you know, mm-hmm. that's a kind of a weird way to say it. But that's what I felt from him. A little different than Marcus, not this, not quite the same, but just was like, yeah, I could see how he can connect with probably a ton of people across a bunch of different spectrums. I was at Clemson's on campus media day. I guess it would have been last month now, and man to man, they were raving about this guy. Like it was, and again, he, I know he played there, but coaching wise, he was there in an off field role for I think one, maybe two years, and he clearly left an impact there. You, you mentioned um, Hollywood. What do you think? Um, how quickly do you think Lincoln Riley gets USC up to speed here? How good can they realistically be this year? Realistically, you're going to use that word, huh? Um, <laughs> that word, that word doesn't fly out here. Um, so I think they'll be really good on offense. I think, you know, they, they will, to me, resemble a version of Lincoln's Oklahoma teams. Really good on offense, good quarterback play. Um. I don't know if they'll run the ball as well as Lincoln did. Like when I said that, um, you know, Notre Dame has one of the two best O-line coaches. I think the other one I would consider is Bill Biedenboe. He's so good in the run game. And he didn't leave Oklahoma to come with Lincoln. And I'm not saying that the run, they don't have a good O-line coach, but just like, I think that identity was unique to them. They have some running backs. You know, certainly Travis Dye was very um, productive for Oregon. Their O-line is good. It's not, great um but i think the biggest issue is going to be they were so bad on defense last year and i've told this story before but my crew did the ucla usc game late last year and you had what felt like dead man walking for that staff you know like clay elton was fired two months earlier it's a bunch of independent contractors and it was the worst looking usc team i have seen in almost 20 years living out here and it wasn't even close and yeah, the transfer portal will help, but I don't think it's going to flip it enough where, you know, my colleague Colin Coward is talking about them like they can, they can be a national title contender slash playoff team. I could see them possibly winning 10 games. The Pac-12 is not that good. The schedule, it's not like this is a year where they have Alabama and the, you know, non-conference. Um, I could see them maybe getting 10, but realistically, I feel like they're a nine and three kind of team in. A, right now, a lesser version of, 
you know, what is a power five league right now, right? You look at it, Oregon has talent, new coaching staff, the rest, the rest of, I don't want to say that division because it's not a division anymore because it's one division, but what we know, uh, you know, those North teams or the, the schools previously known as the North teams, I feel like that's a pretty, you know, underwhelming group. And then there's two teams around USC and what was the old South, which is Utah, who I think is good, really good. And UCLA, who I think is pretty good too. And then that's it, right? You got a really bad CU team. You got a really struggling ASU team. You got Arizona, which I think it will be much improved, but they won one game last year. Much improved is four and eight. So I feel like USC has, you know, nine wins is very realistic. Ten wins is possible. I don't think they're good enough on defense to, to, to run the table, but that's, you know, the expectation for a lot of people looking at Lincoln and Caleb and Jordan Addison is they should at least win 11 and be a top 10 team. And I think that's not looking at their defense. That's the end of Notre Dame's schedule. The beginning is Columbus. And we talked a little bit about their receivers there. I mean, you've certainly spent some time around them, um, you know, with Fox and, and whatnot. Like what what is sort of your expectation for that squad this year? Um I mean, it, it seems like they're built like they're always built. Like they have elite, or not always, but in the last few years where they have elite receivers, great skill position talents, and a very good quarterback. Um, and they're waiting on their defense to sort of click into gear a little bit. Um, yeah. how, do you, how do you see that Ohio State right now? I, I feel like more people than not are picking Alabama to win the national title. I think right now my hunch is Ohio State would beat Alabama in the national title game. Um, I think they're that good. Uh, we did one of their games last year. It was such a mismatch because it was against Maryland, and Maryland was down three cornerbacks. That's the worst team to, to be down three cornerbacks against. I mean, it was just a disaster for them. Um, but you have a really good quarterback. You have a great running back in Travion Henderson. You have the deepest receiver co- receiving room in the country. They have – I think they've shored up their defensive line because – it, the last couple of years, I don't know, I guess it's three years, two years, two years since Chase Young has been out, you know, you had a dominant player in the front, which covered up some stuff. They didn't have that the last two years. They had young guys who were okay and not much more than that. And they were really suspect at linebacker. And honestly, they were, they were, they had great DBs and they didn't. You know, Denzel Burke is a good, really good young player, but like I feel like there's there's going to be a bunch of pressure on Jim Knowles, who did a really good job at at Oklahoma State. He's a Duke guy, and he's a really really sharp guy. Um, Jeff Halfley made a big difference when he was the DC there in one year, and then he bounced to Boston College. He did a great job there. He fixed a lot. Um, I don't know if they have as much talent as on defense as what Jeff Halfley inherited, but I think they're so good on offense. I think they're so different than everybody on offense personnel-wise that I – look, if Notre Dame can stay with them, I think that's – you know, if it's a game – I don't know if Notre Dame fans will, will like this, but if they if it's a game in the fourth quarter, if I'm a Notre Dame fan, I am – and I'm – you know, that's a, almost a win because I think that that would be a huge statement for them to stay competitive in that situation, right? Um you know, I just think that team is so good on offense. It, as long as it's not like 40, 45 to 17, 
you know, you're talking about a really a, a largely inexperienced quarterback going into a game that is that by all accounts to me is going to be a wild kind of offensive shootout that you're going to have to keep up with with five scholarship receivers. You know, like I mean, this is a, probably a another story kind of thing, but like if you were to do take out the best players at Notre Dame and say how many guys would start in Columbus and Michael Mayer, I'm sure would. And you probably have a couple of offensive linemen who would, I don't know where you go after that. There's not going to be a receiver who's going to start You're, There's no running back who's starting over Travion Henderson. Um, you know, there's probably, you know, maybe Foskey. I don't know. There's probably a few guys on defense, but like, it's not going to be a lot. And then the difference between, uh, you know, I think Tyler's talented, but this is, he's going out, you know, the other guy is the most talented quarterback in college football, right? And he's got like the gap. How many receivers at Ohio State would start at at Notre Dame? Six? I mean, <laughs> how many guys in that room? I, I know you're Matt, you smirk, but I know you probably agree. No, right? yeah, I mean, like, all of them. <laughs> yeah. I like, did. So last year, I, I think I was doing something with one of our old colleagues on this, like if you just went by recruiting ranking, if you took the top 10 combined receivers based on their 24 seven composite, it, I think Notre Dame had one of the 10. So, and it was Jordan Johnson who was a, a complete bust at Notre Dame before transferring to UCF. Lorenzo Styles was just after that cut. So it's, um, it's it, it, it a tough, tough ask. And yeah, that's like, Notre Dame needs to figure out how to get more, you know, Marvin Harrison Juniors or Jackson Smith and Jigba. I mean, that's they don't have somebody like that right now. Lorenzo Styles, maybe, maybe, but um, I mean, look in, in their defense, oh, stars, it's not close. In their defense, almost nobody else has them. Well, I mean, there. those guys. Remember the, the two best players opted out of the Rose Bowl: Chris Lave and Garrett yeah. Wilson. And oh, by the way, Jackson Smith and Jigba is just going to go for. 300-something and yards. Then, and Harrison had three yeah. touchdown catches in that game, by the way. You forget about it because Jackson right. Smith and Jigba put up like – like it was like he had the video game you know, con- controls and nobody else knew how to play you know, kind of situation. And, I, I, I would just – I agree with everything that you both just said. I think if we did the same roster breakdown in Michigan and Ohio State, we'd find very similar – Michigan and Notre Dame being very similar as far as their deficiencies compared to Ohio State and Michigan – beat Ohio State pretty good last year. Now, different circumstances, rivalry, snow, I get all that, but I, I do think, I don't know. I mean, it's yes. a daunting task. I'm not trying to, to minimize it, but I, I think... Yeah, your, your, guys who, your guys who would be the starters, the Aiden Hutchinsons, the Dax Hills, those guys have to show up in a huge way in that, on that stage. And look, you know, um, maybe Notre Dame will have a guy who has four TFLs and a, and a forced fumble, and that's how it gets going. I mean, look, you can tweet out about Riley Mills when it happens. Yeah, believe me, I'll, I'll ad nauseum this story link <laughs> as well as, as I already have. What uh, what's your schedule like? Do you know where you'll be week one, week two, week three? Uh, week one, I'm in studio. Week two is my first uh, road trip. I'm on the road with the Big Noon Show. Uh, I was normally in studio while they were on the road. So Austin, now... right? Yeah, Austin for uh, Texas hosting Alabama. And then we have uh, Nebraska hosting o- Oklahoma. And then it's a bunch of bunch of Michigan, you know, either road home. You know, there's like, it's a lot of Big Ten. It's a lot of Big Ten this year. 
I think Fox and the Big Ten are they've got a good thing going at the moment. That's what that's what I hear at least. Um, maybe we'll wrap up on this. As somebody who works with Brady Quinn, what do you want our listeners to know about Brady Quinn that Brady Quinn doesn't want them to know? Ooh, good question. Um, I'd like to say like, yeah, that's a that's a hairpiece Brady wears, but that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> not on this show. Hey, you're like one of our first non-bald guests, and you're older than both of us. So congratulations. <laughs> Thank you, thank you, and that that actually means it means a lot to me. In fact, more than it should. Um, Brady, um, Brady's actually. I'm going to say one nice thing about Brady before I say the stuff I want to say. Brady's actually a very supportive teammate in the um, to me in that in in our meetings and everything. So in that regard, um, he's good. So the real thing on Brady is he is very smart. I can see how he got into Notre Dame and how he was able to graduate from there because there's a lot of times we'll start talking about stuff and if it, if it in, involves like something related to money or finance or things like that, it's hard to keep up. Like he's talking and he's talking fast. And it's hard to keep up. I can't imagine. I, I, I don't even know if he has these conversations with Matt. Um, but <laughs> <No>. of, so, <laughs> but, but, um, so there's that, but then there's also the the eleven year old kind of in Brady, where it's like <laughs> I'm looking at the text, and I'm like, okay, I don't have time for this, you know, kind of thing. But um, he's an interesting guy, you know. So I'm I'm glad that he's, you know, I was on the road with him for four years, I guess, as a as his sideline guy, and um, you know, I can't imagine, can't tell you how many times I've asked him. So walk me through pin and pull again, or whatever, you know, where. He loves his NFL stuff, and when we did an NFL game, man, he was in his own element. You know, like we had a – it was when Brian Dayball was the OC of the Bills, and it was uh, Josh Allen's rookie year, and we had the Lions in the other game, and uh, Patricia was the head coach, so it was a lot of Patriot stuff. And, you know, obviously with the Weiss um, connection he has, I think it's – you know, I think he's very into that. So um, – you know, I want to tell you some bad stuff about Brady. Brady's the, probably the hardest working guy on our show, you know, but, um, but yeah, I cannot confirm or deny whether it's a hairpiece. I or think not. there's, so. there's a, an obvious joke like he's, so he's eclipsing Matt Leiner and Reggie Bush here, but I'm, <laughs> but I'm not going to make that joke. So, yeah, it's, it's funny. Cause I think he has a good time with, with those guys. I, I you know, it's, it's funny because like, there, there's definitely something, something, you know, the first time we were working together, he was like, Hey, I'm going to text you my number. And I said, okay. And I said, I think I have it. I read him the number. He goes, that's my parents' number. How do you have that? And I was like, I don't know. How I but he's, he's a, uh, he's an interesting guy. At one point, I think we had this thought there was a year we did the apple cup. It was a blizzard. It was when Minshew was the quarterback, right? And so we were trying to drive back from uh, Pullman in a blizzard in the middle of the night. And, you know, like, I don't know if you guys have ever had this thought, if like the plane goes down, you know, whatever. But I just remember thinking, <laughs> like, I don't know, Joe Davis in the car. And obviously Joe Davis was our play-by-play guy. Now Joe is is uh, the top voice for Fox Baseball, do World Series, and he'll be awesome at it. He's great. And But at the time, I remember thinking, like, ooh, if we crash, who's going to get mentioned first? Uh, Joe or me and you know because Brady will be first and then I was like you know what it'll be like 
gold medalist, gold medal gymnast husband dies, <laughs> <laughs> former NFL quarterback, and then it'll say. So Alicia's still the big headliner. Brady's the other guy. Brady's Brady's the uh, Brady's the dot 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 after. The, the few times I actually see a celebrity uh, on whatever plane I'm flying at the moment, that's my first thought as well. Man, no no one is going to remember me if I go down in this flight. <laughs> no, we had something once where one of my producers and we were joking about when we work with Tim Brando and it was like at one point Tim said something like a legendary broadcaster does such and such. It was like, no, veteran broadcaster does such and <laughs> yeah. such. <laughs> yeah, we're all just veterans. There's no yeah. no legends in our midst. No no um, legends in our midst. Well, Bruce, thanks for uh, carving out some time for us uh, here on the Shamrock. We'll definitely have you a follow-up podcast when I start coaching youth basketball again this winter since uh, your sort of how-to coaching guide of youth sports was – that was, I think, one of my favorite stories of the summer. Um, Thank you. It, was my, I, it, is, we, it is definitely my favorite story I've ever done. I don't know about you guys, but I never read, wrote anything personal, and it was very personal, yeah. and I was pleasantly surprised how people responded to it. Yeah, it was it was fantastic. I definitely got a sense that uh, the NFL flag football league in Southern California is a lot more serious than Northern Indiana because there was <laughs> there was sure as hell no combine for first graders here in South Bend. Yeah, we actually have another combine this Saturday. So his my week, I got talked into coaching a summer league, which we're doing to the end of the month, and then. My son has a combine for another league on Saturday, and it's almost to the point where it's like, okay, are we doing – like he plays club soccer too, but it was like, are we are we having him play too much football? Are we like letting him dictate too much? Because it was like, maybe we want to pump the brakes a little on the football, buddy. You know? It'll be too much when you do a freaks list on the, the 12 and under division next summer. <laughs> We're going to have a conversation as soon as the podcast goes off the air about something, and then <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say it. <laughs> <laughs> all right well i think yeah we're gonna have to fast forward to that but hit stop hitting record first so bruce thanks for joining us here on the shamrock uh we appreciate your time your insight on uh notre dame the freaks list all that good stuff we'll definitely have you back on the pod in the future thank you guys it was a pleasure even yeah. the wagner stuff yeah.